Hello and welcome to the Ideologue podcast. I'm Ben Mack, digital editor of Ideologue. In this edition, we speak with Lauren Vassy about AI, machine learning, the building industry, and more. Thanks so much for taking the time to have a chat with us. It's always a great thing for us at Ideologue to have a conversation with people that are doing really interesting things in the technology and creativity space, really. And it sounds like you're doing some really awesome things with AI and 3D printing and art. And maybe the first place to kind of begin with is maybe you could tell listeners a little bit about what it is you do and what it is you create. Okay, so I'm um, a researcher at the Institute for Computational Design and Construction. And our primary research field um, is in kind of both conceptualizing how computational design or digital technologies are really impacting the way designers and architects can make um, uh, and envision and, and realize new structures, and also how uh, somewhat computational control over uh, fabrication equipment, such as six axis robots, um, really enables us also to invent new material systems for architecture. So, um, my research in particular is really thinking about, well, the architecture really adapted um, six-axis robots uh, for kind of repurposed them for architectural construction about 10 years ago in 2007, 2006. And um, most robots are really um, appropriated from manufacturing. They're meant to do kind of the same task over and over and over on an assembly line uh, in, an, in a kind of lab environment. And they're really not appropriate for architectural scale production. So um, my line of research is really thinking about how robots, when they're kind of enabled with sensor feedback, can somewhat sense and react to their environment to build larger structures. So instead of thinking about them as high-precision tools acting in a lab environment, they're really acting as, a, as thinking machines, which are really um, doing more than just pre-processing of really precise geometry, but they're actually... Um, making cognitive decisions themselves or reacting to unknowns in a construction scenario. So um, we investigate kind of different material processes um, as well for architecture and engineering. And the projects that I think you've seen are projects which are um, using glass and carbon fiber. Um, So composites are an extremely relevant kind of material system, which is often used in the aerospace industry because they're extremely performative. They have really high uh, stiffness to weight kind of qualities, um, which is why they're they're found in, in kind of really high highly engineered structures like uh, airplane wings, et cetera. Um, so what we try to conceptualize is new fabrication methods for these types of materials where we're not necessarily interested in using molds. We don't want to make the same building parts over and over and over again. We want to invent systems which are inherently adaptable or that that are kind of enable you to make a wide variety of forms. So some of the kind of forms that you've seen, for example, is one that was kind of a long span cantilever um, where two robots were used to uh, wind this large scale structure. And of course, it was glass and carbon fiber, which also has this kind of resin matrix, which makes it um, basically perform very well also in both tension and compression and also bending. Um, yeah, do you have any questions or should I just keep talking? Oh, no, that's fantastic. That sounds absolutely incredible. Well, it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about, then it sounds like there is quite a strong element, would it be safe to say, of machine learning involved with this? Or is it more AI-focused? 
Well, I think that um, machine learning is um, it's a bit difficult to, um, it definitely encapsulates machine learning. By, te- by a technical definition, machine learning is usually a data science or a method of learning from data. And so you can, there's a lot of algorithms which you would use which maybe would rely on machine learning. Um, so, um, and also machine learning is considered a category of AI. So I think we implement different kind of processes or concepts from AI, um, but, but it also, maybe it's also considered low-level AI when you use kind of low-level behaviors when, if you are programming a robot not to do the same thing over and over again, but it somewhat um, needs to react to its environment. There's definitely kind of aspects which, um, which are derived from different thoughts about AI. And it's, it's really funny because this, this kind of line of thinking is not so new, actually, in robotics. Um, robotics uh, as a field was very interested in kind of using biological role models as examples for artificial intelligence because uh, biological role models um, that are builders or that <clears throat> they basically can kind of execute high-level goals with very low-level behaviors. So, and they don't need kind of a plan or a blueprint or um, kind of a centralized control system to do that. And so. Actually, this line of thinking is, is, seems very new and very present, but it's actually been around since um, 1990 almost, or even earlier than that with uh, kind of Rodney Brooks and some of these early um, um, roboticists who were thinking about these kinds of things. So we absolutely think about how um, we can program robots or even custom-developed um, custom-developed machines, um, how we can program them with behaviors to kind of... Uh, produce structures rather than just feed them the control code of something that that's already predefined by us, the designers. Wow, that sounds absolutely fascinating. So when we're talking about these structures that are being created by these robots, what sort of, I mean, it sounds like this is the kind of stuff that has a lot of implications potentially for a lot of industries. And I guess the question for you is what industries could this really, dare I use that D word, disrupt? Uh, so our investigations are all really targeted for architecture and engineering, so AEC. Um, the thing is that the construction industry is one of the slowest to somewhat adapt these sorts of computational digitalization um, um, tools and even very slow to adapt robotic technologies. So even though we have all of these technologies and we're using these tools in academia, um, the, the big question is how, how that would actually impact construction and the making of buildings. So, of course, we're, we're imagining a future where robots are, are being moved onto the construction site and you have more of an ecology or a system of robots which are acting, um, acting together. Uh, also, where kind of computational methods are being used to somewhat organize a construction site or even dis- dispatch instructions, for example, to people or construction workers. Um, but I think it would take more than just the research in academia. So it's really about how how industry and the larger um, la- larger bodies basically recognize the value of this research. Because as I said before, I think what we're doing in academia is really appropriating six-axis robots for for use, which are not developed from logic or from the do- for the domain of construction. So it's really about us imagining what what robot. <laughs> And what robot systems and what new tools would enable um, these kind of um, 
lines of thinking to disrupt uh, construction. But ultimately, um, more fundamental ne research needs to be done on what those robots would look like on the construction site. So we really hope that uh, our research is somewhat um, kind of drives the incentives in the, in the larger um, economy. Sounds very cool. And I guess kind of one of the big questions around something like this is, I mean, this sounds like an incredibly fascinating area and talk about being cutting edge in terms of what we can do with technology and using technology in new and interesting ways. How did you first get involved with all this? So um, I studied engineering, uh, more specifically civil engineering, but I was always a very creative person. And my undergraduate, I had... Um, I had the freedom to somewhat take uh, art, design, architecture classes, computer science classes at the same time. And for me, a very logical kind of next step was um, architecture school. And um, as I said, architecture schools about 10 years ago started having these fabrication labs. So at University of Michigan, there was this huge initiative to start investigating new fabrication processes with robotic fabrication. And so I started working um, directly with robots, developing fabrication processes, developing custom kind of computational workflows and, and robotic control processes. And um, really, the, I think the, when I graduated, then I just applied to work at ICD because um, somehow uh, in this particular field, there's a really rich history of kind of innovation and in building structures and, and construction methods kind of looking back at the work of Fry Auto. Um, the institute where I work uh, is somewhat derived or considered kind of derivative as um, under the work of Fry Auto, where you, there's this rich understanding in, in um, procedural making or and also respecting kind of innate structural and material properties of material systems. So for me, it was kind of like a, a nonlinear kind of trajectory towards research. And, and actually right now in... Um, I would say somehow in Europe, uh, the kind of incentives to transform construction and to con transform building processes are really somehow more foregrounded or more important than in other um, places. So I had come from the U.S., but I think the construction industry is maybe even more behind in the U.S. So. Ah, okay. Well, again, going back to the idea of kind of what you're doing at the moment with these robots, it sounds like there are a lot of implications for architecture and engineering, and always a bit of an elephant in the room question, but so with what you're doing right now, where do things go from here in terms of just simply your research and the industries as a whole? Uh, as I said, I think, so my plan at the moment is to stay in academia, but I think there's also becoming, there's also kind of new market opportunities, so there are these these kind of spin-offs, which are beginning to really develop large-scale robotic fabrication processes. Um, so there's kind of new 3D printing companies. There's branch technologies in the U.S. Um, one of my coworkers did is doing a spin-off on fiber construction, which is called Fiber, <laughs> um, appropriately enough. Um, and then there's also a robotics company in, in Denmark. And what's tricky, tricky about these business models is you... You can't be doing kind of R&D at the same time as um, you need a, a successful business model, which means you really need one construction system that works quite well. So it's very different from 
what we do in academia, which is experimental, more artistic, more um, speculative. Um, I think the market is changing and there's new opportunities for businesses. And I think what is going to make the change is one construction kind of uh, economic backing of these kind of research methods at a large scale in the construction industry, uh, new kind of businesses which uh, come from academia, which are um, maybe not experimental, but realize a construction process that with a high degree of robustness. And then also academia, which is more speculative and can really kind of imagine and envision new um, new material systems and building processes with, with robotic fabrication. So I see it as kind of three or four things which have to kind of work together towards um, a new future for um, robotic-enabled fabrication and, and construction. Mm, very cool. Well, speaking of robotic-enabled fabrication and construction, maybe this is really one of those tough questions to answer, but what will the construction industry, in your opinion, look like, say, 25, 30 years down the line is sort of what you're doing right now. Is that something that you see as potentially being something that gets adopted as a worldwide model for construction? I think we, we really need new building systems which are capable of being automated. I think one thing that I try to really um, emphasize as a fundamental flaw is that sometimes we approach development as trying to automate existing systems rather than redesigning systems for automation. Um, so I think one I think actually it's not going to take 20 to 30 years. I think it's going to take maybe 10 years before um, really new building systems are starting to be developed. And then I think um, it's always hard to predict because I think um, maybe Ray Kurzweil or someone has said this before, but people somewhat perceive uh, technology or technological processes as, as um, increasing linearly where it's actually exponentially. It actually acts and increases on an exponential scale. So I, w I would imagine actually that um, these technologies will be really disruptive in the next 10 years. Wow, that is an incredibly short timeline. Well, following along with that idea then, it's probably a question you get fairly often, and a question that I think everybody, especially in the technology space, always tends to ask, and especially when we're talking about AI, is we talk about the singularity all the time. Yeah. And yeah. in your mind, is the singularity, are we on the path towards the singularity? And if you can answer this bit, when do you think, if you think it'll happen, when about would you predict the singularity might happen, if at all? Um, I guess in terms of the, the singularity, I think when we actually approach programming, it takes, we're, we're really not close. To, maybe contradicting what I just said about exponential progress of, of, of technology, uh, we're really, I think, not close. I mean... The, the amount of time it takes to program, you know, low-level behaviors on a robotic system, um, the troubleshooting that goes into it. Uh, we, we've always noticed that a human and a robot collaborative workflow, where the even when the human is still acting somewhat cognitively to somewhat um, benefit still from a robotic or a computational kind of brain, um, you always get more done when, when it's a collaboration between computation and, and um, a, comp a computational brain and a human brain. So I don't think the singularity is coming anytime soon. But as I said, it's very difficult to predict when we perceive um, technological processes as, as um, increasing on a linear level. 
Um, and I, you know, I really can't answer. I really can't answer. Uh, I don't. I I think the danger is that a lot of people who aren't roboticists or aren't don't study these technologies maybe um, feel confident in giving estimations. But I, I I don't feel confident in giving an estimation because it's so difficult to to program machines with um, even low-level behaviors, let alone anything that would approach intelligence. Fair enough. Well, going back then to what you talked about just before our conversation about the singularity, you talked about how we could be seeing some major disruptions to architecture and engineering, especially with robotic processes in as little as 10 years, going back to the idea of exponential development of technologies. In such a short time frame, what are some things that architecture firms, construction companies, engineering firms really need to be thinking about right now? Um, I think I think it's really about new models of collaboration because uh, architecture firms are mostly on kind of, they're not doing fundamental research. And uh, yet the construction industry is a huge global industry and there's going to be huge incentives to build new buildings as the population is increasing in the next 20 years. And so automation is not going to be, uh, it's going to be a worldwide necessity, automation of construction. Um, and so I think it's more about how do we benefit the most from each each uh, realm and each set of expertise. So, of course, architects and um, coming from the logic of practice and construction have a, have a different um, kind of understanding of how a building chain works. Um, in academia, we're extremely speculative, extremely experimental, and have the ability to radically reimagine systems and protocols. Um, and then, of course, you need somewhat uh, industry, and we need to somewhat also be able to realize these systems at a high level of robustness. So to me, it's really about how all, all of these things can somewhat be interlinked so that they respect each other's knowledge um, in kind of new models of research and collaboration. And, of course, that has to be somewhat funded from centralized funding schemes. So the government and kind of larger funding bodies, you know, different EU funding or um, National Science Foundation, um, these kind of funding bodies need to recognize the importance of, of kind of implementation of these kind of research networks um, between academia, industry, uh, and practice. Very cool. To hear more inspiring tales, be sure to check out Idealog on SoundCloud or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. Also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at idealog.co.nz.